Sketch number nine of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Graymore. Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed, by William Alexander McKay. Sketch nine. Paul Murray. In the early winter of 1855, a sensation occurred in Zora, which some of my readers will remember. On the twentieth lot, tenth line, east Zora, lived Paul Murray with his wife and family, at that time consisting of three sons and two daughters. Their house was one of the most commodious in the district, and apparently well adapted for a large gathering. So it was arranged to have the catechizing there, and on the Sabbath, Reverend Mr. Mackenzie duly intimated the fact from the pulpit. The day arrived, and the Highlanders, men and women, old and young, from far and near, crowded into the place of meeting. The services began. The minister was engaged in prayer, when suddenly a loud crack was heard, and in another instant the floor gave way, going down in the center, forming a concave, the shape of a mill-hopper. Those sitting on the outer row of seats escaped, as the floor broke off at their feet, but the others— with the stove and pots of boiling water, went down. There was, as usual in those days, a large stone hearth, and on this, fortunately for themselves, Mr. Mackenzie and his elders were seated, and, of course, did not go down. Some were burned, some were scalded, but, wonderful to say, none seriously hurt. The rest of the catechizing took place in the house of James Sutherland. A number of young men at once went to work, and before night, New sleepers took the place of the old ones, and the damage was repaired. In 1829, Paul Murray settled in Zora, being then in the eighteenth year of his age, and newly out from Sutherlandshire. Here he lived till 1874, having as neighbors James McKay, John Gilchrist, Benjamin McIntosh, Sandy Sutherland, James Sutherland, William Ross, and Hugh Ross. He was a man of happy, hopeful disposition, of active habit, and tireless perseverance. His career emphatically teaches what patient industry and intelligence can effect in overcoming obstacles that discourage and turn away the indolent and faint-hearted. With his own hand he cleared his bush farm, built his own house and barn, and planted what turned out to be a large and first-class orchard. He erected frame barns for not a few of his neighbors. He was also an expert in the use of the gun, the nimrod of the district. Deer, wild pigeons, and foxes were the principal game, and fish were abundant. He is now in his ninetieth year, and still the proud possessor of the old Kentucky rifle, with which he brought down many a stag in the early days, and which, as he delights to tell, he carried during his service to the Queen in thirty-seven. It is not too much to say that his equal with the gun has never been found in Zora. His mantle has fallen on his son John, as the engraving which precedes this article indicates. In May 1874, he and his family left Zora, and journeyed by New York, Panama, San Francisco, Victoria, New Westminster, and finally settled in Langley Prairie, B.C., where they have ever since resided. His farm in British Columbia was timber or bushland. On it grew some of the largest fir and cedar giants, which are found anywhere in the Fraser Valley a valley remarkable for the great size of its timber. 
As an instance of the immense size of some of those trees, it may be stated that Mr. Murray lived for several months in the hollow stump of a large cedar while he was building a house. But however acceptable the hollow stump was as a makeshift, and however suitable to the tastes and habits of ubiquitous and voracious mosquitoes, it was well adapted to protect a Christian man and his family from summer's heat and winter's cold. At this time Mr. Murray, though past the three-score line, was in the very vigor of manhood. The nearest sawmill was at New Westminster, sixteen miles distant. The road was of the most primitive kind. Horses and wagons were few and far between. Hauling of lumber, therefore, sufficient to build a house of such dimensions as Mr. Murray and his family required, would have been a very costly and laborious undertaking. But here and now he reaped the benefit of his experience and training in Zora. The new situation did not daunt him in the least. At the age of sixty-three he felled the big trees growing on his own land, hewed them into shapely logs, cut shingles, and prepared rafters. In a short time a large, substantial, comfortable log-house stood on a rising ground overlooking Langley Prairie, and near which was a perennial abundant spring of purest water. The house was worthy of the builder, and of the material. In it, writes a Presbyterian minister, many a tired traveller from Sumas and Chilliwack in the early days found a cosy shelter, a clean bed, and a well-cooked meal. Mr. Murray's third son, Alexander, was drowned in the Fraser River, in the twenty-sixth year of his age, when seeking to save a companion. He and two others were in a boat when it capsized. Mr. Murray, being an expert swimmer, succeeded in saving one, and returned to the rescue of the other when both sank. During all his varied experiences and long travels, Paul Murray has seldom ever used saddle or buggy, preferring to do all his journeys on foot. In his ninetieth year he is hale and hardy, and any fine day you can see him walking through his orchard or doing small chores about the farm. The greater part of his time, however, he spends in reading, without the aid of spectacles, his Gaelic Bible. He is truly a living epistle of Christ. In 1876 the members of the Presbyterian Church at Langley Prairie were asked to elect one of their number to act as elder. Paul Murray was their unanimous choice, and he was duly ordained to the sacred office. He is, writes one, a man of sterling integrity and rare worth, a grand example of Scotch industry, perseverance, and genuine piety. Such men may live in quietness and obscurity, but their influence is felt, they belong to the Lord's nobility, and on the great day they shall be owned by the King. End of Sketch 9